0: hello and welcome to the podcast for the foundation for science and technology i'm gavin costigan and this month we're talking about biosecurity and the coronavirus with me to discuss that this week is dr michelle khan from the london school of hygiene and tropical medicine and also from chatham house michelle welcome to the podcast thank you let's talk a little bit and think a little bit about the developing world uh, for people like me living in a wealthy country i have little knowledge of the healthcare system in lower income countries what are some of the common features of healthcare systems in those countries
1: those features are really pertinent to what's happening at the moment so in terms of you thinking about infectious emerging infectious sure. diseases in particular the fact that data collection systems are often they're not electronic they're under-resourced that becomes um, you know, very important when it comes to outbreaks. In many countries, particularly in Asian contexts where I work and where the current COVID sort of epidemic was centered initially, there's a lot of um, use of private um, healthcare providers. So mm. estimates say that about 70 to 80% of people when they have initial illness will go to, not to a government healthcare facility or not, not to a primary care provider as we would in this country, but typically either to a clinic or just a drug seller. So that really affects, you know, again, who's giving advice Mm. and how standardised that advice is and how that information is being captured and reported back to agencies that might be involved in responding.
0: Okay, and how can these features, and we might call them weaknesses perhaps, impact the spread of infectious diseases like like COVID-19? You
1: know, obviously one of the key principles is Detecting and responding and to, to the to an infectious disease early, and then that reduces the spread and any sort of delay, so delays in terms of a healthcare provider who's perhaps not fully trained, so a lot of there's a lot of informal, as I said, private healthcare providers. If they're not up to date with the guidelines on what to be looking for, and you can imagine in some sort of more remote areas, people might not be up to date whether these are the symptoms and if you spot this symptom, you should be ringing alarm bells Mm. that might that might delay actually people being you know even given the right advice about um, isolation etc and then and then in terms of the data systems I mentioned having that information compiled and sent to authorities just did so the delays that these health systems weaknesses cause um, are are really really so they will
0: always be much further behind in their knowledge of where they think they are than they actually are on the ground. Potentially,
1: yes. And yeah. particularly because there's a lot of differences between regions and, you know, rural areas, urban areas and, and then so if there's a central body that's trying to, to respond and deal with it, there they sure. might be quite delays even within, you know, the country.
0: So they start from a difficult position. What do we know at the moment about the prevalence of the new coronavirus in developing countries?
1: So, I mean, there's, as you know, it's changing every day. What we know is that in there's been much less in terms of case numbers in Africa than, than Asia. And even within Asia, there have been big jumps recently. So in India, there's been a great increase. Interestingly, though, it's, so, so in India, it seems that there were um, Italian tourists that you know were, mm. w- was where it came, came from. So it's, it's, there's, a, there's a transfer of you know cases and global travellers sort of now going in both direction. It's also interesting that some of the, the more populous countries aren't reporting as many cases as one might expect. And so the other thing to bear in mind is that the case reporting is also down to the diagnostics the capacity of reporting as we were just talking about so the, you know it, it, it might it might continue to
0: change um sure because of that. sure and, and clearly if a country themselves don't know how many cases they are they aren't going to be reporting them either yeah so we're back to that that data issue how prepared are countries like this for a major outbreak of something like covid19
1: i think at a global level we've you know the, the, those of us that have been working um, in this area have been concerned for a while that the preparedness is, has been much less than it should be and certainly organizations, the World Health Organization, have been also thinking about this. It's, I think most countries don't prepare enough and, and um, you know, we get caught off guard even though these infectious disease outbreaks are becoming more and more mm. regular. In particular in some of the lower-income countries, there's concerns about just capacity of healthcare workers and, and not not being able to mobilize reserves because they aren't there. they're already running with you know with less resources than than they would even in normal circumstance. Issues around fake news because there's um, concerns about you know which authorities are trusted. Mm. Um, so there are some some particular issues that then become problematic in terms of preparedness when something like this happens.
0: Are there some good examples from lower-income countries that you we can point to and say, uh, even given the constraints of resources, this country really has, you know, got its act together?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, on, on a on a global level, we've um, there's been an increasing drive to have what we call national public health institutes in all countries that work together, and so that there is a body that's that's designated to to deal with such emergencies. So I um, examples that I had seen. So in Nigeria, the Nigeria Center for Disease Control is a, is a very strong one. They were already running, from what I saw on um, social media, running simulation exercises mm-hmm. in advance of a case being reported there. So that's you know that's a great way to to prepare if you know that yeah. something's happening elsewhere. Um, to start in Pakistan, they when they reported their first case last week. The Health Ministry also released an infographic video um, in order to, f- so to sort of combat fake news and panic. So I think these sorts of practical steps can be really, really useful.
0: And what's the role of the WHO in all of this? Do, do they coordinate to some extent?
1: Yeah, I think the WHO has been very proactive in in providing information and one of the really important roles that they that they do and sh- should be, should do is make sure that countries, when they're doing things like travel restrictions, that that's done in a way that's evidence-based and fair. Sure. So that, that's where I think the WHO does play a very important role.
0: Yeah, and that is really difficult to get right. Yeah. Um, because you don't have the right amount of information, the risks are not 100% clear. I can see that being very difficult. To what extent does politics and good governance come into this in terms of either supporting or inhibiting the way that countries can prepare for and then tackle these risks?
1: It's central. I mean, the the politics and the governance is is you know one of the things that we perhaps think about less, but it's so important. So this has been, you know, it's very it's very political um, potentially because the decisions that are taken around, as we're talking travel restrictions, trade, it has so many economic consequences, and then with the governance aspect as it, it it links to how prepared countries are and how their mm. the existing resources for health are being used to strengthen health systems so so it really affects what happens outside of health emergencies as well which is which is critical to what happens during health emergencies sure, so, sure, sure. so these things and uh, as i mentioned trust is really important so good even within a country there's if there's good governance and people trust their gov- government institutions then in some when something like this happens, they use government health services, they believe the information, and that yeah. has such a knock-on yeah. effect. Um,
0: and one of the m- most useful things that those of us in the West, in richer countries, uh, can do to support them, is it is it data, is it people, is it money, what, what's what's the most useful things we can do?
1: My, my sense of this always that it's important for higher-income countries to be quite self-reflective, so to think about what steps they can take that will be beneficial, but also to be mindful of any of the negative consequences. So, for example, coming in and making sure that countries do shape their own responses and their own priorities, both during the emergency and in in the run-up. Mm. Because the sorts of data and indicators that a country might want to track to see how how it, at risk they are, it varies, and often when there's support from outside, there's a sense, oh, we should have a unified process and unified response and that might not always work so I think it's just important to get the balance right between supporting but also um, having locally led um, initiatives I also would say that having support that helps on the systems level really rather than just very siloed for a specific disease or for vaccination because I see already that it's, it's great that people are thinking about a vaccine but we have to bear in mind, thinking about the kinds of um, lower resource settings, that if the health systems aren't there, it, it's not going to reach people, people who need it or where you know, there might end up being hotbeds of infections. So just thinking about a broader support rather than being very focused on you know, this disease and, and, and investing a lot of resources into one infection which then can't be
0: used more broadly for systemic strengthening. So I, I, can, I can certainly understand that, and I hope that uh, the UK and other countries are already collaborating with lower income countries in terms of health research and, and, and working with them. Clearly in an area where you have an infectious disease where if this doesn't work, there's a, a a bigger implication for the health back in the UK there's even more a sense of urgency maybe to to do things and and you could see in previous outbreaks of things like Ebola where people were uh, definitely sending people and expertise because they did not want that to spread more widely maybe too late for covid-19 i mean i think it's everywhere now
1: yes it's it's one of it's perhaps <coughs> human nature and this is where the politics comes into it again we start thinking about Health and the health systems in um, lower resource settings when there's an emergency, but it's sure. it's, it's we have to
0: sort of s- sustain yeah. that interest. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, absolutely right. What about some of the implications of this? We well, talked a little bit about travel bans, obviously in many countries people are uh, quarantining or or self isolating. What are the implications of some of the uh, some of those things in lower income countries?
1: If we think about the implications on an individual level because that is potentially quite different in some of those settings there's a lot of people who are what we call daily wage earners Mm -hmm. and if they don't go to work it's the entire family it's not just them and we see this for other diseases as well such as tuberculosis where if you you know you have to go to the and, and go and get your medications on a daily basis it just as those systems are very very problematic so ideas about self isolating you know for for a couple of weeks when you don't have an employer or a social security system yeah. that that on an individual level can you know those recommendations are fine on paper but how are, are they realistic and then on a the more countrywide level if travel bans are going or travel restrictions go with some re- re- sort of reporting of cases and it's it is an it is a disincentive and we really need to consider that because if you've already got a country that's got a weak economy that you're trying to build and then you've, you've got you've got an outbreak and then you think right and now we're gonna have a travel ban that's just gonna further limit the re- the desperate resources that you need to you know to, yeah. to, to yeah, inject yeah. funds into yeah. the health system so I think that's something that we as a sort of global community need to consider and, and and just definitely work on this. Should we be providing support and to, for countries that are transparent in reporting and, and, and sort of mm. mitigate some of the, the consequences of that.
0: We talked a little bit about what governments in those countries can do and a little bit about what governments like the UK can do. What's the role of sort of big charities in this space?
1: Because these situations suddenly there's so much additional capacity needed. I think, you know, everyone, community organisations, charities can play a role. I was, um, you know, that in China, for instance, even just on a community level, doing, helping with food deliveries, when, you know, when there is a situation of, of quarantine, charities, I think, can play a really important role in you know plugging the gaps that sometimes the healthcare system even can't meet meet because there's people with special needs so I think you know there's there's that particularly and we're getting into new territory with quarantine potentially at at a you know an entire city level yeah um so certainly we need to think about how not just charities but also Private sector organisations, so do we need supermarkets to potentially play a role in doing home deliveries if people can't you know, get a batch We, we yeah. really need, and this is where the preparedness needs to come in, and, and it's much broader than just the health sector working together.
0: And you mentioned supermarkets and food, and of course, in many countries, actually, the food supply is rather time critical Mm. and if you have a number of people who aren't able to do that you start to run into difficulties. What's your feeling about the situation? Are, Are there going to be people suffering consequences well beyond the disease because of things like hunger because there are no people to either take the crops in or sell them or distribute them?
1: Yeah, I think to your question about are people going to be fa- feeling wider consequences, certainly, but just because any time the economy is affected. So so yes, certainly. Already we're seeing um, schools being shut. So in Pakistan, schools have been shut, in Nigeria, in Italy, mm. schools and universities. So even just on, you know, takes just children's education and then sure. what that does for parents who are trying to go to work. And it just, yeah, it's, this situation really shows that Health affects so many other sectors um, that hopefully people will now um, remember that a lot of other sectors need to contribute to sort of strengthening our health systems because it, it will
0: affect everyone. The impossible question, I guess, at the end, uh, and I should say today's the 5th of March, what do you think will happen? What's the, how do you see the situation developing in lower-income countries over the next few weeks?
1: Um, I would say it, it looks like now it, it's... It's just, it has entered into a lot of countries that have um, lower income countries with weaker weaker health systems. There will be a challenge, I think, on detecting and and reporting. As I said, because of all you know, it, it is an illness that has in initial stages has symptoms that are that are that are very generic. Yeah. Generic. So people might not be going to the facilities that are set up to report and 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 recognize that. So I think those we will see more spread is my prediction but to the degree to which we'll be getting information in a timely manner is is what I'm concerned about purely because the systems
0: might not be as strong in some of the countries that it's now getting to. Well we'll just have to see and uh, it's an interesting if slightly worrying time. Yeah. Michelle Khan thank you very much. Thank you. You're listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. You can find us on soundcloud.com, on iTunes, Stitcher Radio or wherever you found this podcast. Or you can check out further details about the foundation at www.foundation.org.uk.